Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Red Inca. I'm Jared Kimber. This episode of Red Inca, we look at how good Lorcan Tucker is. And to do so, we get on a man who was once dismissed by him. Nathan Johns, journalist at the Irish Times. We talk hyperactive keeping disorder, Curtis Campbell, Irish Middle Order, that Australia innings, how COVID changed his career, and his trouble with the sweep. Incredible that you didn't introduce yourself as Andy McBride hater. But anyway, we're going to talk about Lorcan Tucker today. Uh, how good do you think Lorcan Tucker is at batting? And try and ignore the fact that you know I've got a lot of opinions on this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, that's, that's an impossible task because his record in the last 18 months, ever since they finally stopped using him as a specialist keeper who batted with the tail, uh, has been really good. Uh, especially in T20 cricket. At one point, he was averaging over 50, batting at number three. That's come down a little bit, but you know it's it's still, as a T20 average goes, it's, it's pretty high. Uh, he's had a couple of decent days out in, in one-day cricket recently. He bats a little bit higher up than, than he has in the past. And and obviously, you know he's got a Test Match 100, and he had a good day, second innings uh, at Lords uh, recently when he, when he got 40-odd. So he's a good player. Um He's, he's a fascinating guy because you know, as as you as I'm sure you'll get into, the, the wicket keeping is is interesting. His standards there. Um, some people in Irish cricket, and not even Irish cricket, just talking to you know various different analysts and stuff at at, at Lords during the week. Some people actually think he's, he's better technically than some than Tector, even though Tector's record is is ridiculous in the last twelve months. Uh, I personally don't necessarily agree with that. I think. I think Tector is a slightly better player, and, and maybe that's just biased because Tector's been doing this from a young age, whereas Tucker is doing this age twenty six, mm. um, and the first three four years of his career wasn't like that. But I think you know I know what you think, uh, but I think as as Irish wicket keepers go, he's could easily end up being the best of them. You know, he could easily end up with a better international record than than Niall O'Brien or, or Gary Wilson. Yeah, I mean, I'd be shocked if he doesn't beat Gary Wilson's international records uh Niall O'Brien was a really good player to be fair it, I mean if they even just got that out of him I think he would be very good but I think he has a lot more natural talent than than, than Nobby's uh, sorry Niall he will listen to this too because he listens to everything or someone will tell him about it now um <laughs> uh but but I certainly think he can go to that level so it's interesting I'm, I want to start on the worst part of his batting which is ODI cricket because you said that he's he's done really well and I felt that he'd done really well 
Uh, his average in one day cricket overall is 21, right? And when he has batted up the order, so when he's batted at number five, his average is 22. When he's batted at number six, his average is 23. Um, he's way worse when he's at number seven, don't get me wrong. And he struggled a little bit in a couple of games at number four. He's played some good innings in one-day cricket, but he doesn't look like he has the ability to consistently make runs in one-day cricket at the moment. And the reason I bring that up is most of the hype about him as a batter over that last 18 months that you're talking about has been T20 cricket and has been test cricket. So we would assume that that one-day cricket record will eventually get better one way or another. It may not ever be you know, the world's greatest what ODI cricket. Uh, it may not f- uh, fit the style. But the problem when you do look at his record overall is he is 26 years old and yet he does have very low averages pretty much across the board outside of test cricket at the moment where you know in his four tests he's done very well is it just that he hit a purple patch in the last 18 months is it just that he went up the order it still hasn't changed his overall average as much is it more a case of a little bit like Curtis Camphor where he, we have now all seen him play incredible innings, whether it be the one against Australia, uh, you know, whether it be that the one in the test match, um, you know, all these different innings that we've now seen of him, that we are ignoring the fact that he still actually fails at a fairly high level outside of those brilliant innings. So he has a very high ceiling, but he maybe has a lower floor than other players still. Well, I think there's two things to that. Um, well, actually, actually, first of all, because I think it's important to mention and I'll forget otherwise. I think there's a really good chance he opens the batting in this tournament in Zimbabwe uh, because they have changed openers. Stephen Dohany struggled. He had like, I think he had a run of nine or ten games opening the batting with Paul Sterling. Had a pretty significant technical flaw. Basically kept cutting short wide ones straight to point. Uh, so they got rid of him. Uh, PJ Moore is the guy who came in. But as we've said in previous discussions, he's been told he's a middle-order white ball player by the powers that be. So somebody's moving up the order. And I think they have considered doing this with Tucker in the past because, you know, Pinch blocker Andy McBride. They've struck. They've always struggled to get someone in that top three alongside Sterling and Balburnie. Um, it might be that Balburnie opens and Tucker goes to three, um, but I think there's a decent chance. I've had conversations about it in, in the past. They're not saying anything definitive now, but I think so. You know, he moved up the order in T20 cricket and it worked for him. You know, so it's going to be interesting if, if they do move him up the order and, and what does that do to his 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 ODI record? Um, the answer to your question about a purple patch. But we don't know because you don't know it's a purple patch until the purple patch finishes. That's very true. Um, so we just kind of have to have to almost wait on see on that front. But I don't know. It just you, you mentioned there's been failures outside the big knocks. It feels like in the last eighteen months those failures have been fewer and, and far between. And you know he's twenty six. He's had a lot long time of batting seven and eight. Like he started his career, I think batting quite low, and they didn't really see him as much of a batter. He was he was the wicket keeper, and he could you know maybe shepherd the tail a little bit and, you know, make sure Adair got on strike to slog a few at the back end of an innings. But he wasn't really, he wasn't that player like Adair or even McCarthy now who could come in and slog from ball one. So he, he kind of struggled a little bit early career. So I wonder, you know, if he gets a couple of years of, of not doing, not being forced to do that, does, does, that, does that bump up the numbers? Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's a really interesting one. Uh, so the, the answer to your question is, I don't know. <laughs> well, but, let, let's so, go back to the top, the, the order thing, because I think this is quite interesting. So he's batted kind of everywhere at this yeah. point. Like He started at number eight, but he was very young then. Uh, but he played a lot at number seven, and he played a lot at number seven at times when Ireland didn't have, partic- I mean, not, with, with the retirement of Wilson and Porterfield and I don't know, Joyce and O'Brien and, I don't know, am I missing any of the older guys? And, um, you know, they lost a lot of talent. Uh, Kevin O'Brien, they lost a lot of talent in that sort of middle batting um, area. 
And yet he's still batted at number seven quite a bit. It isn't that straight away they thrust him up the order. That makes me feel like they're not completely certain that he is a top order player. So they weren't. It took them quite a while. I mean, you just kind of chat to chat to people in and around with the squad and stuff. I think my opinion is that it took senior figures, senior players, which is arguably more important, a while to rate him because he was in his own club and in, in Leinster cricket, which is where, he, you know, that's his province in the Interpro system. He was always really highly rated. Um, he was a he was a he was an all rounder up until about the age of 15, I think. He wanted to be but Brett he Lee. He, he thought he, he was going to be, be a Brett quick, quick ball. He wanted to be he? Brett Lee. He, he's, he got me out plenty of times playing underage cricket as a, as a fast bowler. And he was like, when he was like 13, he was, he was fast for his age. If I remember yeah, but you were about four when he was 13, right? Like, I mean, he was, no, he's, he's, he had he's you already, a cup by a couple of years. Yeah. He's, he's about 18 months older than me, I think. Okay. So yeah. Then yeah, you, I mean, then I, you I, should have I, done I better. Have, you shouldn't be going out to a wicketkeeper. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think there was one time actually I just I just moved across one and tried to flick it off my hip and forgot that I'd moved across and exposed all three stumps. And uh, so that, that was the dismissal that I remember. Anyway, completely irrelevant. Uh, no, no, no. It's great for you to relive all your misery on this podcast. Thank you. That's it's been, a, it's been an interesting experience from hey, being labeled the Andy McBride hater to, to being asked to go through my childhood trauma <laughs> of getting out to wiki keepers. Um, but yeah, it, I, I, I think it, it sounds like it took senior players um who are still in that side quite a long time to, to rate him, um, which is interesting because the skipper comes from the same club as him. So he would have seen a lot of him as a kid and, you know, would have presumably seen that he has, has, was a kind of a, a hot shot batter back in back in the day. So that's that's quite interesting. Um, they obviously rated him enough to go when he, he, did, he moved up the order against the USA at the back end of 2021 because that was back in the middle of the ill-fated Gareth Delaney bats at three in our T20 team experiment um and he got covid so they said right, well we just need someone to bat at three and they said right, well let's just see we, we think Lorcan might be able to do it let's see what he did and i think he got 80 and 80 in his first game and he and he hasn't looked back since so i think that was when he he, he definitely earned some confidence more than he had at the start of his career but even that, that i mean that is that. that's a little bit of luck right like if if there wasn't sickness on that tour he wouldn't have been pushed up. Uh, I, I see, uh, my, my theory is, and I spent a lot of time looking at him this week, but also looking at a lot of footage of him. And I, I got quite obsessed with him because when he first came in, I thought this is a specialist keeper who can chip the ball around a little bit and will be handy with the bat, but nothing more. And in the last 18 months, I, I get asked about Lorcan Tucker like on every third podcast, right? <laughs> it's incredible how often he comes up. And, I, and I've said fairly consistently, I think I got it wrong. And I think he's a better player than what I thought. But, now I'm starting to think, well, wait a minute, there must have been something that I was seeing and that perhaps the island captain and, you know, other Irish people were seeing. And so I, re- as you, you're more than aware because you had to sit next to me, um, I got really obsessed with him this week. He really does have almost, uh, you know, I call it hyperactive keeper um, disorder, right? He can't sit still at the crease. He's moving all the time. He wants to be involved in everything when he's batting. Uh, I think you, you were next to me when I was counting. There were five balls in a row where he didn't just stand still and face a ball. He even moved forward or back against a fast bowler. Against um, Jack Leach, he was backing away outside Lake Stump when he didn't need to do that. It's Jack Leach on day one. Just play the ball on its merits and you'll score against him. And it's, he's not a particularly hard spinner to, to face on day one of a test match. And I do think all of those things, if you were a senior batter, and especially if you think about Irish batting, 
you know, Bell Burney, O'Brien, Porterfield, Joyce, these are, you know, Wilson, these are very, not conservative batters, but they liked, uh, they weren't, you know, reckless in any way. They were, you know, sort of thorough professional batters. Lorcan doesn't really profile like any of those guys. He, you know, he does more profile like an, a modern younger player who's been, you know, electrocuted. There's a bit of Harry Brook in, in the way that he plays, right? Like of where you can't actually stop him from doing anything. And I wonder if that energy and the mistakes he would have made because of that is part of the reason that they didn't quite trust him. Maybe it's, it's, it's an interesting one. They, they certainly back it because when it comes off, it looks really good. Like he was charging Mitchell Stark and hitting him over his head back in, mm. in that Australian, as you mentioned, or even, even on day three, it was that cracky charges down abroad and plays this expansive drive that had everyone or had, you know, in the crowd going, ooh and ah, you know, so it, it works for him from time to time as does certain other shots, but they also do get him out as I'm, I'm sure you're going to, going to come on to. He, he gets out a lot playing the shots that he thinks he's good at. Um, so yeah, it is it is it is very interesting. What I took away from the test was speaking to Gary Wilson on I think it was after day two when Tucker did stay a lot stiller in that evening session. He didn't really he didn't mm-hmm. look to sweep Leach as much. He he actually played Leach. He flicked him quite well. They left him with gap mid wicket open, and he just kind of got his on top of the ball, not a lot of spin, and started flicking through mid wicket for two or three boundaries. He played him in the V a lot more than trying to sweep him as he did on. On day one, and, and Gary Wilson kind of said, "Yeah, we, we had a chat to Lorcan about the tempo of his innings, about how you know." And I think the subtext of that was how you don't need to be this you know hyperactive Duracell bunny. You can stay in your crease a little bit more and just play strong shots to get yourself in. And then if you get start getting a bog down a little bit, that's when you can kind of use the crease a bit more to try and counteract and throw pressure back on the bowlers, uh, which which was interesting because Tucker did that very differently uh, on the in the evening session of day two than he did in his in his first in his first innings when he was moving around a lot more. But then on day three, he started moving around again. And like I said, it works. There was cracking drives off through abroad, but it's ultimately how he got out trying to sweep again. Yeah, it, it and all that sort of stuff's really interesting as well because because he's batted down the order, there is probably something within him that thinks that, I don't want to say imposter syndrome. I don't mean this in a bad in, in a bad way, but everyone has it, right? Like there's a point of him where he's not sure what he is at the moment. And he's probably been the crackerjack wicketkeeper batter like a lot of his time. And and even when he was thrown up the order in T20, he was thrown up because he was the crackerjack, right? But he actually has, and, and this is why I find him so fascinating as a as a batter, because I think he has the skills. You, you mentioned Harry Tector and whether Harry Tector was better technically, right? I actually think that if you pare back all the nonsense around Lorcan's batting, there's almost not much wrong with him technically at all. He's a very fundamentally sound uh, technical batter. But he also has the ability to go to that fifth and sixth um, gear in a way that Tector, it would take Tector an hour to warm up to, to, to ever find that kind of gear, right? Just different ways that they go about their batting. And I do wonder how they, as a, you know, a, as a cricket body, but also, you know, personal coaches that he has, you know, anyone he's working with, how you get it so that he understands when he needs to use sixth gear and when he needs to use fourth gear, right? He's probably never going to be a guy who's going to spend a lot of time in first or second gear, but he's got to work out how to sort of go ramp up and ramp down. And that the the, the fourth morning, a uh, third morning when, when we turned up, like I was watching him bat and I was like, he's going to go out. Like he's not going to make a hundred here, he's going to make a mistake. Whereas the night before I was thinking if he just bats like this the whole time, 
There's nothing in this pitch and there's nothing in this bowling attack that should bother him here. So that working with that sort of stuff. But what's interesting is he's coming very close to his peak batting years, right? And it feels like he still doesn't know the best way to use his own talents yet. And maybe a lot of that is because he hasn't done a lot of batting at the top level in the top order. Because that's where you learn that. You don't learn that at number six, seven, and eight, right? You learn that in the top order playing your, your, you know, your best batting. And he's still in development because he hasn't batted high enough for long enough. And also, you know, and you and I talked about this on a whole nother podcast, but he also just doesn't bat, um, uh, you know, Ireland just don't, he doesn't play enough cricket, especially probably four day cricket that he needs to play to be able to work out all those different things. So they're in a really interesting position where he might just end up being a wicketkeeper who averages 26, 27, but everyone remembers his greatest innings, or he ends up being a number five and bats behind Harry Tector uh, in, in red ball cricket. And then in white ball cricket bats at three or four, you know, wherever they need him. He had, he could go in any direction from here on in. And it's, how Island Cricket makes him understand what he's best at is such a fascinating way for NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Forward. And I think, I think he understands that as well to an extent because just on your point about you need to learn at the top of the order. I mean, I, I spoke to him uh, during the Afghanistan series they had last August, I think it was August last year, up in, up in Belfast when, again, that was like the first, you know, five-game series at batting at number three and he scored a lot of runs and they won that series and he scored a lot of runs against Rashid Khan which is really interesting. And he kind of said, yeah, look, when I was batting seven or eight, I just, I just didn't really know what my role was. Yeah. Um, you know, it was coming in slog or get someone else on strike, get Harry or whoever it was still in on strike or do I slog or do I get turn it over and let Mark Adair slog who is batting lower than me but probably can hit down the ground better than me. So he just, again, confused. He kind of fits in with the narrative of this kind of hyperactive, confused... Uh, guy, which is interesting because off the pitch he's, he's, he's not at all. He's no, like the most he's... cerebral. Like he, he reads he reads loads of books. You know, he's like really interesting. He's not on social media. Like he's just the most quiet, down to earth guy you can imagine uh, when he's not batting. And you listen to um, him interviewed, and you're just like, this is a guy who he, he just seems like a smart professional cricketer. He's really really smart guy. Yeah, yeah, really really intelligent guy. Which is why I think these conversations, you know, he's 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 probably had them ten times already himself. Yeah. Um, well, I want to get back to something you, you said actually a minute ago. So this happened to Moeen Ali. So if you think about, if you're a talented young player in Irish cricket, right, would he have ever batted outside the top four or five other than when he was like 14 or 15, right? Like as he's coming through the system, my guess is he probably played top order cricket um, the majority of the time. Even as a keeper, he would have been right up the order because he would have been so good. And I remember with Mo and Ali, and I think Mo and Ali's been quite honest with this. Mo and Ali didn't know how to bat at number seven or number eight or even number six. They never had to bat in those positions before. And they are different kinds of positions. So you've got someone who did that, who probably was outside of when he was very, very young, has probably always been a top order player and was probably thrown in above because of how talented he is. He was probably thrown in up the order. He then gets the Irish team and he's further down the order. He gets confused by that. And now he's got like the ghosts of batting at number seven and number six, maybe, you know, 
in his head, but he actually has to go out there and learn how to bat three, four, five again. These things do confuse professional athletes. I know, I know we think they shouldn't, but they do. And if you haven't played as much cricket as, you know, perhaps he might have if he come through the county system, he might not be quite as grooved as he should be to be able to, you know, conquer that in the way that they need him to. And he relished that going back up. Like that's what he said in, in, in the during that Afghanistan series. He says, I know exactly what my role is every time I go out. And just the, just that clarity kind of unlocked the 18 months he's had batting, batting, batting at three in, in, in T20 cricket. So it's a case of, like, even in the ODI side, they, they still move him around a little bit. Mm. Um, you know, does, sometimes Camfer comes in at five. Uh, if, you know, I think if Tector and Tuck and Balbirni have both scored hundreds, they, and it's the 35th over, they'll send in Dockrell because uh, he'll just go in and, and try and whack it for 15 overs, uh, as he's done later on in his career. So it really, even in the test team, like, there's always a question of, okay, well, who bats, who does he bat six? Does he bat seven? Does, does again, so him and Camford can often quite be interchangeable. So did it, he, he batted seven in the test team recently. He was list, I'm trying to think this test match against England, he was six, week. wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So he has batted seven again recently, which again, if you are, I mean, he's clearly in the best, what, three batting talents that they have. Right. Mm-hmm. If you look at pure batting, you know, you'd still have Belbo in that top three. Um, you know, uh, Sterling has probably slipped a little bit now. And then you have Tector and then you have Tucker as, as it currently stands. Why is he batting at seven again? Right. Like, other than the fact he has wicket keeping gloves, you would never have, if he didn't have wicket keeping gloves on, there's no way you'd ever bat him at seven in, in a well, test match. The other, well, the other thing is, what, what, what do they do with Camfer? Because he bats Tucker behind Lorcan Tucker because he's not as but, good as him. But, but Tucker, <laughs> but, well, True, but the, I think the maybe I don't know. I don't know if this is what they're thinking, but you know, trying to put myself in their shoes, who's a better power hitter? Uh, it's it's Lorcan Tucker. Whereas C- Curtis, they're both very similar in terms of they're both pretty good players of spin. They both sweep the ball a lot. Uh, neither really uses their feet to spin that much. They don't. Neither hits down the ground. Not not neither of them clears the front leg and whacks the ball over mid on. To be honest, so they're both quite similar. So maybe they think, well, Tucker does at least charge the seamers and try to hit them. Uh, over extra cover so he can kind of maybe slog a few more at the back end and run really hard and get Docker on strike at the back end end of an innings whereas if we're 20 for 3 in the 10th over and they're bringing on Sikanda Raza down in Bulawayo next week or whatever Curtis is kind of the more steady stay in his crease knock it round sweep well player Uh, and that's kind of how it's how it's been Camfer's kind of been their man for a crisis um, whereas they, I think they do see Tucker as a better, a better late, late order option. But then the argument is, well, if he's a better player, like you said, just just get him to face, get your best players to face as many deliveries as possible, right? Mm. But then, then the question gets, what's Curtis Camper's role on the side? Because he doesn't necessarily bowl that many overs that regularly these days. He's a bat batter who bowls in their eyes. And if he's not going to bat five and not bowl that much, what's he doing in that team? Well, I, I think that's the wrong way of looking at. It. I understand why. Anyone would look at it that way. But I think it's the wrong way of looking at it because I think what you do is you say, well, we've got a wicketkeeper who can bat top six, right? Which allows us to have a bits and pieces all-rounder at number seven who can maybe bowl half of his overs um, and bat really well and is probably one of our best fielders, right? The ability once you once you have the ability to move a wicketkeeper up the order, you actually give yourself more flexibility. Uh, when it comes to who, who plays behind there. So I, I don't have a problem with that at all, but I can understand why they would, you know, not necessarily, I can understand why they wouldn't be the, you know, the biggest fans of, of, of that sort of thing. But, but but even that's an interesting point because that's kind of like a, a, a philosoph- philosophical difference between the head coaches. So Graham Ford, 
who was the coach before Heinrich Milan, loved his bits and pieces guys because, you know, they could scrap hard. He could cobble together 50 overs out of seven or eight guys. He loved it. Loved Camp. Like, he was the guy who brought Camp for in. Loved Tyrone Kane. Picked him for that test match against Pakistan Malahide. Loved Stuart Thompson, who got a game at Lords. Like, loved these guys who could bat a bowl a few overs. Um, were picked as bowlers, but could probably had probably better records as batters than they did as bowlers, which is kind of the story of Irish cricket. You know, McBride and Adair nearly scoring tons at Lords, batting better than they bowled throughout the Test match. Whereas I think Milan likes the idea of having your more clearly defined roles. He just doesn't have enough players mm. to do that, and they end up relying on the bits and pieces guys like George Dockles bowling again all of a sudden. Um, so as a result, I think that's why they kind of try and put Camphor up and you know, not always because there are times when like I think Tucker did bat ahead of him in this in this test match if if I'm correct I think that's right yeah I think he did so, 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 so yeah so there are times when they do give Lorcan the opportunity to face as many deliveries as possible because he is a, as, is a better batter but equally there have been times when they go well no let's Curtis is necessarily isn't going to bowl 10 overs so let's try and force him to be a to be a top five player if that makes sense there I mean Camphor there's nothing in campus game that suggests he could ever bat top five consistently in international cricket outside of perhaps T20 because, uh, you know, T20 might suit his skill sets a little bit more. That's not to slander him because everything he's done with his talent is phenomenal and he keeps improving and, you know, is very, very good. But you, you look at the way he played a shot against Jack Leach this week that looked like he was a number nine. Like that's just not something that you would. That, that a top order was that the one he got out to no he played a sweep where a slog sweep where he decided very late to play it he didn't get in position at all and just sort of whacked whacked his hands through and that's the kind of player the camper is but he's not a top five international talent right at number six he's probably slightly below par at number seven he's probably okay and that's kind of what i'm saying if, if you bat him at number seven he can probably average between 25 and 35 and have some high impact plus he can do he has a second skill can argue he's such a good fielder he maybe has a third skill i think that's the best way for him whereas tucker i actually want him to be up the order in every situation as much as possible because i want him to learn more about batting right like he his upside is so much more than than camphor's upside is at the moment that doesn't mean that camphor won't end up being a better player than him that that's a separate argument but if you actually have a look at them you know i don't think there's any bowler who's too quick for for Lorcan tucker in the world. He plays high pace very, very well. You talked about the Mitchell Stark shot before. You know, we, we saw him against Broad and Tongue without any any worry there. Spin is a different one and we'll get we'll get there in a moment. <laughs> but he's already made uh runs in Asia, which is a really, really good um sign. He's made runs against Russia Khan. Actually, let's go to spin now. This okay. is this is interesting. So I, I won't get through all the numbers, but basically when he's playing spinners, when he's playing attacking shots against spinners in test match or when he's playing them in T20 cricket, I think it's something like 55% of his shots are sweeps, right? From an analytics point of view, any player who plays the sweep shot more than 5% of the time, we would consider a sweeper. So he's way up on, on that. He, you know, not quite up there with, um, uh, what, what's the, uh, is it Scott Edwards, the captain of Netherlands? Um I think, you know, he might be the world's most dramatic sweeper. Um, in, he, he plays it every, every single ball, but he's not quite on that level, but he's very, very high up on the list. And so then you start to have a look at his record. And in T20 cricket, he averages 16 when sweeping. It's not, a, it's not, the, it's not the average you want if it's your, the shot that you're playing uh, the, most, the most often, especially for him because at the moment, he's still batting in the middle order, although, as you said, he might end up being an opener um, in certain formats. Then you've got the fact that in test cricket, um, actually, sorry, he averages 12, 12 in T20 cricket playing the sweep. And then in test cricket, he averages 16 when playing the sweep. 
He's had eight test innings so far. He's been dismissed by spinners five times and all five of those occasions are sweeps. And you know, I became obsessed with this early on because he was out there batting to Jack Leach and we both know he's a sweeper and they had all the fielders up England. And I, I think I said to you straight away, does England know something that we don't know? Because it didn't make any sense to us that you wouldn't have someone out on, on the boundary because that is just a normal thing to have for a player who sweeps. They got him out twice playing the shot. There is clearly a major issue here you know, obviously, is it Scott Irvine? Is he the analyst? Yeah, yeah. Scotty, yeah. A very good analyst uh, all over Instagram if you want to check out his work. Um, he would, clearly, I don't think I'm the first person to notice this. Clearly, England had noticed it before I had, if no one else. I'm sure Scott would know that as well. That's a really interesting one. If he's going to be a middle-order player, there has he has to have other shots to be able to score against spin because as it currently stands, he may love the sweep shot, but the sweep shot does not love him. Well, again, yeah, that same interview I referenced before where he talked about the role clarity. of He said, you know, I said, you swept that series, he scored a lot of runs off Rashid and he swept him really well. And, and most people don't have any success mm. sweeping Rashid. Yeah, hard hard so, guy to sweep because he buzzed a little bit yeah. shorter than everyone else. Yeah, he's, he's quick and flat, like, mm. you know. Um, and he just he just said to me, just go, I just sweep, every, I sweep everyone and everything. And it's just, it's his go-to. And But yeah, like, so he, he, he goes to it a lot. He generally does score runs with it, but you know he gets out a lot as well. So, and it's kind of one of those things where I think cricketers love to say, "Oh, I, you know, I haven't got to get out at least in getting out playing my best shot or something like that." It's yeah, it brings me a lot of success, and it, if it brings risk, but the reward is going to be worth it. I mean, those numbers and those averages suggest that it in is his case, it. it's not worth <laughs> it. Um, but it was really interesting how he was trying to sweep. I mean, I, I can't remember. So there was two dismissals sweeping this week. I can't remember off the top of my head the ones in Asia in Test cricket out of the five that you mentioned. But both times, uh, I think the first innings, he kind of took a step down the track, a step outside off, and then swept late. So he kind of danced down the track thinking it might hit him over his head and then last minute still looked to sweep and got in a muddle. And it was a little bit of an unlucky LBW decision because he was so far down. And it was yeah. one of those where 99% of umpires just never give that. And the umpire's call decision would stay his way, but it was given that. So it was a little bit unfortunate, but the movement was not great beforehand. And then in the second innings, he's, again, there's no one back on the sweep and he's looking to sweep fine. Um, and he's moving across and he ends up just completely getting in the wrong position to play it and he gloves it onto his leg stump. Well, Whereas I think then he, actually in that second innings, I think he, he, he's going to go, he has his bat up here, which uh, which won't make any sense to anyone listening on the podcast, but he has his bat up near his shoulder, like he's going to play that really fine, almost that shovel type paddle yeah. um, sweep. But then if you watch the shot he plays, he ends up playing a very normal sweep in the end, it's but from outside dots, the off, yeah. uh, from moving himself over a little bit. So it's like he made two different decisions on how to get the ball fine. Um, which in some ways shows he's a very adaptable sweeper. But again, every time it, both of those dismissals come from him moving or changing his mind all the way through, which maybe shows, I think you used the word clarity before. Like there are times when I look at Lorca and Tucker and I'm like, I'm not sure how clear he is with what shot he is going to play here. Off the field, we know he has incredible clarity, but when he's on the field, it's not quite there as much. And the other thing that I would add to that is, do you remember that over that I was talking about before against Stuart Broad? So he runs down the wicket first ball. He then jumps back onto his stumps dramatically three times. And then the, the fifth ball the or the last ball, the over that he was facing, he runs down the wicket again. I get the idea of that. And I've you know, obviously written about how modern batters are using their crease a lot more um, in test cricket to try and put off bowlers. But what he's doing is putting himself in moving positions or dramatic positions over and over again, whereas actually he could actually, he could 
move very subtly into those positions and be completely set. It's the same with the sweep shot against uh, Jack Leach in that first innings. He could have set himself up for that without jumping. If you look, he actually jumps into position. I think I've got a still of, of it where you can see him in midair and you can see the stumps underneath his feet. Right? That's not what a really high-class batter should be doing. A high-class batter can move into those positions, but make, make sure that their head is still and, and everything else. There just is this sort of reckless energy to everything he's doing that comes across, and I think it's probably the easiest place to see it is when he's attacking a seam bowler or when he's playing these sweep shots. There's almost too much going on in his head for him to just be like, I'm just going to play this shot. There's, it's, it feels to me like, and, and I don't know how you conquer something like that because... I was a terrible batter who probably was exactly the same. I'm, I'm sure if someone was looking, if there was some idiot like me looking at my batting technique, they would have said the exact same thing, right? And and I get it. I, I completely get it. That's the thing that I, I, it'd be really interesting to see if he could conquer because I think everything else is there. I think all the game is there. And I think it comes out in sweeping, but I don't think it's a sweeping error, if that makes sense. Well, I think with the sweep was really interesting because it's what he was trying to do with the sweep. And we mentioned there was no one back on the shot. So you just need to hit it and hit it hard. You don't necessarily need to be worried about too much about where it goes mm. because with no one back, you know, you just need to hit a yard either side of, of that man who was on square leg. You don't necessarily need to be going to the exaggerated, okay, I need to get it really fine because square leg inside the ring or not ring in test cricket, you know what I mean? Yeah. Is, is on square. So I need to get really, you just need to get into a position and hit it hard and, you know, you've got a very decent chance of, of beating him. Um, and it, or even if that man was back, you don't need, it was, he's sweeping for boundaries instead of using it as an option to get off strike. Yeah. Well, also, um, if, if you're, I think you're right. All he, if, if he can play the sweep well, and he, all he has to do is play a conventional sweep six times, right? Over three overs to, to leech. And there's probably two boundaries in that without him worrying about where the field is exactly set, right? Just because he's going to be hitting the ball quite hard. And as you said, if he gets at a meter and a half to either side of any of those fielders, whereas in, in actual fact, what he was trying to do is make sure that every single sweep went into a gap or every single sweep was absolutely smashed. And I'm not sure he needed to do either of those things in that situation. We saw how Mark Adair swept during his, when he got runs and he just didn't really care where the field was. He said, right, I'm just going to put my foot down the wicket, hit it hard. Yeah. And because of the line of the ball, quite often he had to fetch it from outside off, but he's in a good position. So because he's trying to hit it hard in front of square, but having to fetch it, it's going behind square and in that gap anyway. Um, so it was almost as if, you know, just Adair was just so much more clear in what he was trying to do. He's just trying to, you know, Joe is just tossing it up, you know, and feeding him the, the, stroke, the stroke to the short boundary. And he goes, right, well, I'm just going to try to hit it hard and back myself, like you said, two out of six times to to find boundary. And because and it's because you're not trying to, maneuver yourself so much or get into gaps it's a risk it's a it's a more risk-free option and like you said if you get two out of six it's worth it so it was just really interesting the different approaches and i think you know we watch you know joe roots sweeper all the time but how often does he use it as a boundary option and how often is it just his go-to to get one yeah. and get off strike and i think that the difference is that is because all that movement is because he's like okay i do sweep and i have to sweep loads but I have to sweep for boundaries because that's my shot. Instead of just, like we said, hit the ball hard. If there is a field back, fielder back, just get get one and you'll hit a gap enough times to make it worth it. Or like I said, just stay still and just back yourself because you play the shot so much and so well normally. Uh, last question, and then I'll let you go. Where do you think he's going to end up as a batter? Is he going to be a top five player across all three formats? Or are we going to continue to see him float around everywhere? Or eventually, will we see him further down the order and that will be his role? 
Yes, top to the first top five batter purely because they need someone in the top three. They still have they still need someone up there with, with Sterling and Valberni, and I think there's a decent chance he's the next cab off the rank, so to speak, in fifty over cricket. He'll stay batting at three in T twenty cricket because he's had so much success. And I think they will eventually I think in Test cricket they have realized that he won't be a top five player in Test cricket now because Sterling is still playing yeah. Test cricket and he's not going to go up and open the batting anytime soon. So he'll bat six there. But and then also bear in mind, like Lorcan's twenty six. We don't know how long Paul Sterling's going to go before he decides to to truly take the franchise money. Uh, so there could be another option there. You know, I think Balbrani will still play for a long time. There's no question of him going anytime soon. But Ireland already don't have a settled top three, and that might become more unsettled in the next year or two potentially. And look, like you said, he's he's one of their best batting talents, and I think they will come to the conclusion that it's worth giving him a, a long go um, already now, and then it definitely will be in a year or two. I think. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening. There is more information on my guests in the show notes. Please support them where you can, but also support us. If you can't help out on Patreon, every single review, share, or word of mouth suggestion to your friend helps us. However, this podcast is made available by the people who support us at Patreon, so thank you to all of those who do. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. Red Inker is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes the best audio anyone can from random Zoom calls. We also have a great support team from 42, with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Senapia, and Meda Akam producing some of the shows, and Makanda Banredi as the head of YouTube content. Our theme tune is by the Red Crickets. Sports Social Podcast Network.